Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's program is from Sunday, September 19, 2021. The message title, Call of the Christian, a continuing study in the book of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, um, and if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. They are over by the, the giving center. Um, I guess we'll call it that. Um, we are going to be in 1 John today. Um, our passage is 1 John. 2, 15 through 17. And so if you want to open up there, I'm going to read the passage for us and say a quick prayer and then we'll jump right in. So, 1 John 2, starting in verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Holy Spirit, as we come now, as we come to listen to your word, as I preach, Holy Spirit, please give me the right words to say. Help me to communicate clearly the amazing and awesome truths that are found in, in the word of God today. I pray for open hearts for all of us. I pray for open minds. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would conform us to the image of Jesus each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry. So this sermon is titled The Call of the Christian. And the reason I wanted to call, when I, when I wanted to title the sermon The Call of the Christian is because what I want us to see today in, these passage, in this passage and in these verses is a glorious and beautiful truth, namely that we are called to love the world. And I know the verses start with a do not. They start with a, a command, a do not love the world. But I want us to see that this is a positive command. This is a, a calling for Christians. And if you're like me, I've, I know I've certainly used the word calling probably far too loosely in my, in my time with, with God. Um, if I were truly called to everything that I have said I was called to, for me to not do that is actually to disobey God. And so I, I think we maybe use that word calling a little bit loosely. Um, and I'll, I'll leave you, I'll leave that between you and God to decide what, you know, what you've said you're called to, if that's actually the case. But just remember that if you, we are called to something, means we are to obey it. We are to do it. And so, and I want us to see today that we as Christians are positively called to not love the world, but to love God. And you've probably heard this illustration before. It's from C.S. Lewis. Um, and he talks about a young boy who is just playing in the mud making mud cakes or whatever you want in, in the mud. And, you know, his, his parent, one of them comes up and says, Hey, Timmy, 
Do you want to go have a vacation at the beach? Do you want to go, you know, come out of the mud and, and go to the beach and actually get some fresh air or see some new things? And, and the little boy doesn't want to go because he's so content in his mud pile that he can't even begin to fathom what it means to go to the coast and to enjoy the beauty, the fresh air, the ocean, the waves, the animals, all of it. He, does, he can't even begin to comprehend what that is. And oftentimes it's like that with us. We can get so enthralled and so engrossed with the things of the world, with the systems, the commands of the world, all of that, that we, we forget to look up and go, oh, right. All of this is, as John says, it's fading away. It's temporary. It's not going to last. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There is a permanent, a permanency to what we are called to. And so that's what I want us to see today. I want us to see that, first of all, you and I are called something glorious and beautiful. And I also want us to see that it's not going to be easy. There's a war within each, of, each and every one of us for our affections. And the world pulls on us and God is also pulling on us. But I also want us to see that God himself has enabled and empowered us to fight these battles. He has not left us alone. And so with that in mind, let's jump in. So verse, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Now, before I get into this, may I trouble one of you for a glass of water? My throat is starting to dry up. Thank you. <laughs> so what in fact does John mean when he says the world? Does he just mean the, the physical like buildings that we have, the mountains, the like just everything you just kind of walk out and see? Is that what he means when he says world? Does he mean to not love that? Consider, for example, in John 3.16, the same John writes that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so is God somehow engaging in a love that he has called his children not to engage in? I think we would say that that is not true. Um, no, here when John refers to the world, thank you very much. When John refers to the world, He's referring to the world systems, a way of thinking, a, a sort of focus and purpose that is utterly so anti-God and so against what we as Christians are called to do and to live like and to love like. And John is not at all talking about the people of the world. We are called to love the people who are in the world. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are told to go forth and make disciples. We are told to go forth and to preach the gospel. And so when John says world here, he is rather describing a system that is contrary to God, whose priorities are worship of self and worship of anything other than God and not worship of the father himself. And to give some examples that like, you know, the world commands us to do this to buy that, to keep up with those people, to find security in this thing. 
to find our purpose in something else other than God. Maybe it's in popularity. Maybe it's in having enough friends. Whatever it is, the world commands a sort of selfish devotion to oneself, whereas Christians are called to love the Father. And these two sorts of loves are really incompatible. You cannot both love self as the ultimate, as the ultimate like thing you worship and love God as the ultimate thing you worship. Those are two incompatible things. And the love of self in, in some ways it's really not love. It's rather, it's just selfishness. It's just worship of self. Now, please don't hear me say that it is wrong to be in the world, to have a job, have a house, to get married, to have savings. No, these things are not in and of themselves wrong. What I'm talking about is our hearts bend towards them, our hearts propensity to find purpose and meaning in anything other than God. And our desire to fill up our needs that are real and that we have, but rather to find our fulfillment of them in things other than God. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not, it is, again, it's not wrong for you to have a job. It's not wrong to have a house. It's not wrong to get promoted. It's not wrong to have savings. Please don't hear me say any of that. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And I think, I think we've all seen this happen with people. I think we all probably have some examples in our minds of we've, we've seen brothers and sisters, people who we once counted as brothers and sisters who are no longer, we would no longer call them brothers and sisters. To give you an example. So I went to the university of Oregon in, in Eugene, Oregon. And one thing that this particular university is known for, um, is it's fraternities and the fraternity life is very big there. And my freshman year, I joined a college ministry in the church that it was associated with and whatnot. And I had a friend, we were in kind of like the D groups we do here. We, we called them fight clubs because we did that. I'm not going to, I'm not actually going to try and explain that right now. That's what we did. There was a good reason for it. I'm not going to explain that right now. All that to say, we were, we were doing a D group together and we were close. Like we were holding each other accountable. We were encouraging one another. And this went on for the first two trimesters, the fall and winter trimester. And then in the spring semester, this guy fell off the face of the earth. And I reached out to him and it turned out that he wanted to join a fraternity. And as soon as he did that, his priorities completely changed. I saw him one more time after that, and I've never seen him since. His priorities completely changed. He stopped coming to church. He stopped engaging with us. He basically just stopped answering our texts. Texts of, hey, how are you doing? Were unanswered. Because his priorities had suddenly become the popularity of being in a fraternity the connections that would come post-graduation in the business world. His priorities had become, how do I get everything I need and want now, as opposed to waiting for God to fulfill those needs. And I saw this, he's not the only one I saw this with. I saw this with many, many people. And conversely, I also saw the opposite of that happen. Saw a friend who 
church was very much a secondary priority for him. He called himself a Christian, but church was secondary. Community was secondary. God was secondary. What he needed was good grades. He needed to be in the right clubs. He needed to have the right connections. And he graduated, got a good job. And God suddenly showed him, where is this going to end? You always need the next thing. And it's never going to be enough. And God was very gracious to this guy to show him that. And was also gracious to me and some others that this guy reached back out to us and said, God's gotten a hold of my heart. I've repented. I'm no longer living for my next paycheck. I'm no longer living for that next raise, for that next promotion, for that next position. And the thing is now he's doing quite well. He's been promoted. (laughs) He's, yeah, he's doing quite well for himself. I'm really impressed with him actually. And he's serving in his church and it's awesome. And God has granted him these things because those things in and of themselves are not wrong, but his heart's bend towards them changed. And we also have an example of this in scripture with Demas. And we don't know much about Demas, but we know that as Paul was going around on his, on his journeys, as he was planning churches and whatnot, Demas went with him at first and was even valuable in his work. And then later we see Paul writing, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica at the time was a cosmopolitan city. There was a lot happening there. And Demas loved that more than he loved the Lord. And those two loves were incompatible. He couldn't keep pretending to love the father when he really loved the world. Those two things were incompatible. And so we see that. And you know something, I also realized that I forgot to give you guys my main point with all this and what I want us to see in this. And so there it is. This is a good time as any to bring it in. We see that if we focus our love of the father or on the father, then everything else comes into focus. We realize that the things we're maybe chasing are mud and in actuality we're called to a holiday at the beach. We're called, we're called to much more than that, but, but you know what I'm trying to communicate. You know what I'm trying to communicate. Exactly. No, we are called to an eternal and good rest. And that's in Hebrews. You can read about that. And so when we focus our affections on God, everything else comes into focus. And John lays out for us what love of the world looks like. He qualifies it. And this is verse 16, which is right there. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And so there are three elements that make up love for the world. And we see this desires of the flesh, doing what you want. The desires of the eyes, either having what you want or coveting what you don't have. And the pride in possessions, which is this self-sufficiency. I have a security apart from God. I don't need God. And actually, turn with me quickly to Genesis. Or you can just look at the screen, I guess. Um, 
Genesis 3, 6. So the very first temptation recorded in the Bible has all three of these elements. And we know that John is a student of the Old Testament. There's references all throughout his writings to the Old Testament. And so I think as he's writing this, I suspect he has this very scene in mind. And so this is when Eve is being tempted by the serpent. This is Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so we see, first of all, that it was good for food, the desires of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, desires of the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. Pride of possessions, a self-sufficient security apart from God. And all of these desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of, pride of life, pride of possessions, they all have surface level. I think we can all think of like probably surface level things there, but ultimately all of them get at our heart posture because they reveal in us perhaps a discontentment with God, with what we have. We always want more. Or it reveals an idol and a security apart from God. And, and so as we jump into desires of the flesh, your translation may say lusts of the flesh. Um, I think both convey different nuances of this. And, and of course, these can be physical things. Like we all have needs. We have needs for intimacy, for comfort, for security. We need food, all of these things. And do we just take, take, take to try and meet those needs? Or do we run to the Father looking for the fulfillment of those needs? And it can be things like sex. It can be wandering eyes. Maybe you find food for comfort. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's work. What is it that you use to satisfy yourself to meet your physical needs other than God? And again, most of what I just mentioned isn't bad. but it can be if it's our idol. And it shows at our heart that we're discontent. At a heart level, it shows that we are discontent towards God. Same thing with the desires of the eyes. Maybe you covet what you don't have. And the world tells you to do that. The world tells you, look at the person next to you. They've got more than you. That's the standard. You have to catch up. The world says, no one cares, work harder. And I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't say that because, oh my goodness, that is so ungracious and unhelpful. The world says, if you want it, work for it or take it, whatever that is. And these can be physical, they can be abstract, whatever they are. And Jesus says, no, it's finished. I've made the way. And lastly, John characterizes love of the world with a pride in possessions and your translation or the pride of life. Um, and your translation may also say the vain glory of life. And I, I like both those translations because again, I feel they capture the nuances of how evil the human heart is. 
And so maybe, maybe the pride of life, maybe your pride of possessions, it's a security apart from God. It's a, well, I have enough money put away, not just for one rainy day, but for many rainy days. And we see a lot of this in Iceland. It's hard to share the gospel here because people don't care. They'll listen to you possibly, but they don't care because they have everything they need. At least they think they do. Jesus tells the parable in Luke 12. He speaks of a man who has, his crops are abundant. He has everything and he doesn't have enough space to keep all his stuff. And he says, okay, what am I going to do? I know I'll build bigger storehouses. Then I'll have everything I ever need. And so he does, he builds his bigger storehouses and then he tells himself, Hey, just relax, eat, drink, be merry. You have, you have goods, you have savings laid up for many, many years. You don't have to worry. And God says, you fooled. This very night, your soul is required of you and the things that you've put away, whose will they be? And that's where the parable ends on a, not on a positive note, on a note of despair. That pride in possessions that he had ultimately got him nowhere. And again, sometimes we hear these things and I say, you know, Iceland's like this. People in Iceland are like this. I, I don't want this to stir up in us a, a sort of arrogant judgment of people of Iceland. This should break our hearts for these people. That yes, they do have everything they need for a physical life. They're on show they're 80, 90, maybe a hundred. And they'll live a good life. And that's as good as it will ever get for them. That should break our hearts. Our hearts should break for the lost, for those who are content with mud when they could look up and see Jesus. And as I said, your translation may say the vain glory of life. And sometimes it's tempting for us to try and do great things here on earth so that we'll be remembered here. So that people will know our name. People talk about wanting to be remembered in history, wanting to go down in the history books, wanting to have done something great that changed the world. I dare, oh, a lot, I dare say most of those people are probably not with the father right now. And so brothers and sisters, you and I are called, and this is a good thing, we are called to look up and to love the father, to, as John writes, to behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what you and I are called to do. We're called to love something that'll last. We're called, we are called to pour our affections, our devotion, our worship on the only thing that can hold up under it. And for the Christian, love of the world and love of the Father are incompatible. These two things cannot exist together. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters for you will either, you will love the one and you will hate the other. 
it is not possible for you to have two masters and love them both. And turn with me to Titus, because I want to exhort us in this. And I want us to see both that this is a battle, but also that we're not alone in this. We are not alone in our calling. God doesn't say, no one cares, work harder. Jesus says, it's finished. And so look at Titus uh, chapter two, verse 11. And it, yes, it's on the screen. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is astounding and this is amazing. The grace of God has appeared to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness. You and I are not alone, brother and sister. The grace of God is with us. We do this not on our own strength, not somehow working harder, we have the grace of God within us who stirs up our affections for him, who takes us away from the world. Teaching us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives while we wait patiently. And notice the contrast, we wait patiently. Whereas the world says, go get, keep getting more, keep going further, work harder. And the grace of God teaches us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives as we wait patiently for the blessed hope that we have, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, as we draw to a close here, I, wanna, I want us to consider some questions. And so, first of all, what cools your affections for Jesus? What is it in your life that pulls you away from, from Jesus? That takes your focus, your energy, your... You don't have to answer out loud. I'm just saying, consider that. Because that will reveal to you your idols. That will reveal to you what your heart is truly set on. And it's not a fun exercise, but it's a necessary one. And we can do it because we know that the grace of God is with us. And we know, you know, John says later in this letter, we'll get to this in, in a few weeks. In this is love, not that we have loved God. He loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. So we can do these things because God has, God has loved us and does love us and has already sent his son to die for us. And the next question I want us to consider is how much of God do you really want? And this one hurts. As I was preparing for this, I came across, there it is, came across this from a pastor named David Shepherd. And he says, it strikes me that some people want only as much of God's salvation as will keep them out of hell. And they measure out with unconscious precision 
how much worldliness and sin they can still hang on to without jeopardizing their chances. Ouch. Brothers and sisters, love for the world and love for God are incompatible. They cannot work together. They cannot somehow coexist. We can't serve two masters. And so I want to encourage you and exhort you to consider how much Jesus has loved you and does love you and how much love God has shown towards you for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice on your behalf for your sins. Because that's the thing, we're not called to just muster up some love. We love because he first loved us. And that's the gospel. And we're gonna fight this all of our lives. Brothers and sisters, this is, you're not gonna walk out of here all of a sudden. Oh, great. Okay, it's all good and ready to go. Fortunately, that's not how it works. This is gonna be a battle each and every day. But remember the grace of God has appeared. Training you, training us, encouraging us. Remember that Jesus loved you. And so what would it look like for us, for us, the people of Lafsalvan, what would it look like for us to set our affections on God, to do so more each and every day? What would that look like? What would that do for our relationships, for our families, our workplaces, for the people we meet on the street and coffee shops and restaurants at the gym? What would that do? And, you know, Gunnar preached last week and challenged us, you know, to not be content with where we are, with the knowledge we have, but rather to press onwards and upwards into maturity. Because he made the point that, and he made it earlier today, that knowledge does not necessarily lead to a changed heart. So I want to again take up that challenge and I want to exhort all of us to examine our hearts and to press onwards and upwards into maturity to set our affections on what will last and not on what will fade away. Because remember, when we focus our love on the Father, everything else comes into focus. God, thank you for today. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you and gathering together as a faith family. God, as we go forth this week, um, please bless us. Please use us to bless those around us. And to the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be reaching people here in Iceland and that you would just give us opportunities to share the gospel and to point people to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.